A great song, and I love seeing the kids come forward. That's one of the best parts, seeing those little faces as they bring their money down. Parents, just so you know, we've added card readers to each of those boxes so they can, I'm joking, y'all are like, really? No, not really. It is beautiful to see those children come forward in their gift, and that is truly that idea of, of being excited and happy to give. This morning you may see that we're talking about our sermon is God is really smart. And you say, well, we already knew that. Well, I know that. And I hope you realize this is the understatement of the year or of the decade, right? He is really smart. Last week we were talking about this concept of going to church, is, or as we call that, of, of coming to, in attendance, being active in a church service, is really good for your health and singing is good for you and singing in a group is good for you and coming and reading and meditating all those things are good for our health and so today we're continuing on with that just for a moment as we're kind of sliding into some different subjects but it's still true that God in his infinite wisdom knew all these things that would be good for us way before science knew it, way before we had ever figured it out. And we all have some like anecdotal things we can say about it. But scientists decided to study some of it and said, wow, they didn't say God is really smart, but they should have because the studies they have done have all pointed back to God knew what he was doing. One of my favorite passages in the Bible that shows God's greatness is Isaiah chapter 40. And really, I like the whole passage, but there's a lot there. So let's just read a few verses today. And verses 12 through 15 say, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on a scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the point, the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Can you imagine this beautiful picture of God? And it goes on and on before this and after this in the book of Isaiah of how great God is. God is so smart that no one gave him knowledge. He already had the knowledge. He is the source of knowledge. He is the intellect behind everything. He is our source. Can you just imagine this word picture we have of God measuring the, balance, the, uh, measuring the mountains as he takes on one side, of, of the, one side the Alps and on one side the Rockies and says, now which one is heavier, you know, and figuring those things out. That God is so incredible he can do that. The nations are like a drop in a bucket with all the power of all the nations of the world, of, of, of Russia and the United States and China, the economic power, the military power, all the power. And God says, that is like a drop in a bucket compared to who I am. Well, God is really smart. You know, it's interesting. Another thing that goes along with this is the idea of gratitude that scientists told us is good for our health. And you're, we'll get there to how these two connect. But gratitude is, you would probably figure, yeah, that's probably a good thing to be a thankful person. 
there's a, there's a scholar, he's at the University of California, uh, California Davis, he's considered the number one scholar in the world on gratitude, a man by the name of Robert Emmons said this, he said clinical trials indicated that the practice of gratitude can have dramatic and lasting effects in a person's life. It can lower blood pressure, it improves immune function, and facilitate more efficient sleep. Well, that all makes sense, doesn't it? As they've studied it, they've said, yeah, that's right, it does, to be a thankful person. Instead, at night, of thinking of all the problems in the world, instead starting to count blessings rather than problems, we can have better sleep. And it might even make us healthier because we've had better sleep. And it might make our heart rate go down, Because now we're calm and we're thankful rather than getting all upset and worried and in a tizzy over whatever it is that we can't solve at that moment. But instead, a person who is grateful is one that actually may have better health. And you know, the Bible was right all along. God knew what we needed even before science did. And I think back to the church in Philippi that was in the middle of a problem, at least between two women, if maybe they were just the ones leading two different sides, who knows. But we know there are two women named Yodi and Syntyche that were having this big problem in the church. And so Paul writes this letter to the Philippians about it. And this is how he says basically to solve the problem, at least one part of it, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So if they're going to take care of the problem in Philippi, one of the ways they do it is they quit thinking about what the other person did wrong, and they start thinking about noble things and admirable things and pure things. And it could even put a church back together and it could even make our health better that God knew long before science what was good for people both both individually as well as collectively. That those things all go together. Now two other things that go together or two things that do are gratitude but also hope. And science also concludes that hope is good for health. That a person needs to have hope. There's a journal known, known as the Archives of Psychology and one of the studies that they published was one about taking a thousand people aged 65 to 85 and they followed these people for 10 years to find out about their health and had them write down what they were doing and they found out that optimistic people had a 55 percent lower risk of death from all causes than people who are pessimistic isn't that interesting Just being optimistic and saying positive things, thinking positive things, being a positive person can actually help your physical health. And it will also bring you more friends because more people will like to be around you, right? But can actually help. In that same group, there was a 23% lower risk of heart-related death from those who are optimistic. I remember a a story that a preacher friend of mine told me, a true story. I remember he had just come back from the hospital, wasn't here, another place. He'd just gone to the hospital, went to see a man in the hospital who started talking about the man he was angry with at the church where he used to be. And as he's there in the hospital, this man starts saying, well, this guy, 
And all at once, all the beepers started going off in his, in his room, and, and the nurses had to come in, and my friend, the preacher, had to leave and said, I don't think that visit went very well. Because thinking about all those negative things was having a terrible impact on his health, just like it can ours. Now, what you know, and I know, is that God gives the real hope. He is the reason that we have to be optimistic. He's the one who brings that. And I think about what Jesus said in John 14, verses 16 through 19. Whenever the apostles are worried because Jesus has said that he's going to leave. They haven't even gotten to the point of going through Jesus' trial and through his death and then three days without Jesus. They haven't even gotten to the crucifixion and all that. But, oh, it's going to be, there's a lot coming. And they're going, you're going to leave us all by ourselves? And this is what Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. You know what Jesus is doing? Jesus is saying, it's going to be okay. I'm giving you hope. You are not going to be alone. The Spirit is going to be there. Just like whenever we're baptized into Christ, our sins are forgiven, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I will be with you. Jesus said to him, after he gives a great commission and says, and go baptize throughout the world, he says, and I will be with you always. It's that idea of him giving hope. Now, now sometimes we forget that hope in a biblical sense is not, I hope it happens, like maybe it will happen. But hope is a promise of you better believe it, you can stake everything on it, it is going to happen. That Jesus is going to return for his people. Now, 1 Thessalonians is another place that I think is really strong on this idea of hope. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse, verse 3, in the introduction to those young Christians in the city of Thessalonica, the Apostle Paul says, We remember before God and, and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, now hear this part, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you, do you hear that? See that part that I've italicized there? That hope in Jesus inspires us to endure. Now, this is really important. And many of you in this audience know it today, and I don't know all of the situations. I know some, but I don't know everybody's situation. But what I know is many of you are enduring because of your hope in Christ, because you know there will be a better day. You have not given up, and you are not going to give up because of this hope that inspires your endurance. Now, for some, it's just getting through life. It is just dealing with regular health issues, whatever those may be. With others, they're really serious health issues. For some, it's getting through a job problem. Maybe you've lost your job, or maybe you're underemployed, or whatever it may be. You are dealing with those things, but you're saying, I'm going to make it. I'm not giving up on God. I'm not going to stop going to church, and I'm not going to stop reading my Bible. I'm not going to curse God and die. I'm going to get through this. Because God is faithful, and I have this hope that he's faithful. I know he's faithful. You're getting through that. 
Some of you may be in a really tough marriage right now or a tough situation with, with a spouse or even with your kids or with your parents. Some of you may be battling addiction with, with drugs or with alcohol or pornography or whatever it may be. And you're saying, I'm not going to give up. The struggle is real, but I will not give up because of this hope that is allowing me to endure. And then for some, it may even be literally persecution of people saying bad things about you, treating you poorly, whatever it may be, because of your faith. But you are saying, I will not give in. So it's this idea of how important hope is. And scientists say, lo and behold, hope is really good for you. Hope will keep you going. God already knew that. God is really smart. God already figured that out before the beginning of the world. He already knew it. He didn't have to figure it out. He knew it. All of these things are important. Even in a crisis, we know that we have a future. That's one of the most beautiful things. And think about back there again in 1 Thessalonians, not in your screen, but in 1 Thessalonians 4, whenever, whenever Paul is talking to that young church and he's saying, you know, the day's coming when you're going to see Jesus in the clouds. We don't want you to be ignorant like other people are. We don't want you to mourn like other people do. But we want you to know that you can have hope because you will see Jesus. And all the terrible things in the world that could happen, there is hope. A bomb could fall on our building right now, but yet our families who aren't here, who know us and know that we're in Christ, would still have hope because they would know that someday, some, however that works, we'll be reunited in heaven with, with God. They still would have hope, no matter what happens. So that's one of the beautiful things about being in Christ, is we know where this hope is. We know that this hope is in Jesus, therefore we follow Jesus. <clears throat> Some of you are saying, it's nice church talk. Church talk, it's preacher talk. You don't know my problems. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm going through. And so you just get up there on Sundays and you say a bunch of stuff and then you leave and your life is all perfect and everything's happy. Well, first of all, it's not perfect, I want you to know, but this isn't the David show, so we're not going to talk about all those things. But instead, I want to take us back to the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is a little book of six poems that was written. We sometimes call them laments. A lament is a sad poem, a poem when you are lamenting about the situation you're in in life. And it's attributed to Jeremiah, traditionally. And I want you to see what the writer is feeling like. He may be feeling like what some folks in, the, in Ukraine are feeling like even today. Because what he sees is Jerusalem is falling. It's being destroyed. And this Jerusalem is not just the holy city of God, obviously it is. But it's more than that. It's where he lives, it's where his family is, it's the restaurants, or if they had restaurants in those days, the markets that he had known. It's going back to where he went to school, it's going back to the people he knows, what's familiar. It's all falling apart. Incidentally, we do continue to pray for that situation. I appreciate Bradley bringing it up. There are strong Christians in both of those nations that are fighting. We support one of those mission efforts in Russia, and we pray for those folks. And also we have, we have several from this, from this congregation that spend their summers in Ukraine working with Christians there. 
And so certainly we pray. But I think about what this man felt. I don't know if all of his feelings were exactly right, but he is crying out to God with everything in him, and his conclusion is going to be very interesting. Now here we are in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, 7 through 12, 16 through 21. I only shortened it because it's so long. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and he made me walk in darkness rather than in light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding. He dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and he made me the target for his arrows. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is, so I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for in the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Then he's going to say, but I have this hope. But I want you to see this for just a minute. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, I have prayed over and over and over, and it feels like my prayers are not being answered. Maybe some of you are there right now. You have prayed over and over and over, and it is hard to walk in this building or even watch online today. It's hard to do because you keep praying, and it feels like nothing is happening. Writer of Lamentation says, I got you. I know what that's like. You say, oh, it feels like every time I turn around, God is there to get me like a lion crouching down about to attack me. It's what it, what it feels like. It's like a bear that's waiting to maul me. That's how, how I feel. I feel mauled. Some of us feel that way probably this morning. Whatever it is in life that has done that, whether it be our physical bodies wasting away, if it's our economic place in life, whatever it is, all those things end up becoming spiritual problems for us, more likely than not. And so maybe today, maybe that's the way you feel. Maybe it's relationships. You've had a, you've had a spouse walk out on you. You have kids that don't call you. Maybe, maybe you don't know where to go, as frustrated as can be. The writer of Lamentation says, I know that feeling. He said, it feels like God has had me munch on gravel and broken my teeth. If you've ever had a broken tooth, you know that's some of the worst pain you can have. And he doesn't say my tooth, he says my teeth. You can only imagine the pain that he feels as he writes this. And his frustration with God and his frustration with where he is in life and to see everything that he knows that seems to be falling away and you're not going to be able to fix this just in a day. 
Because when they're destroying your city and your country's falling, it's not like just tomorrow, just everybody picks up and everything's fine. The buildings that were destroyed will all be back and up and strong again. The government will be put back in place. Everything will be fine. It can't happen that way, right? But then there's this last little thing here at the bottom. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. This is Lamentations 3, 22 and 26, which is the next verse in that line after he said all that. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Just before I came up to speak this morning, we sang this song. I don't know if you remember it or realized it. And we sang it. It's such a happy song. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. We sang that. It's a happy song, happy song. Do you realize where that was written? When that was written, it was written in the midst of pain. It was written in the midst of heartache. It was written in the midst of frustration. It was was written in the midst of grasping for hope, in the midst of a horrific situation. His compassions never fail. New every morning, great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait. Well, this is, this is a heavy passage to read because he's saying, I don't give up. I will not give up. Now, there's a great difference between us and this writer of Lamentations. This writer of Lamentations doesn't know about the cross and the empty tomb. He doesn't know anything except where he is right then. He doesn't have the hope. He doesn't know what, it, what Jesus was like. He doesn't know about the life of Jesus. He doesn't know about the virgin birth. He doesn't know about Jesus living the perfect life. He doesn't know any of that. We know that part. And so we have even more reason to have hope. And in the midst of our pain and struggle in life where we just want to give up, we don't quit. We keep going forward. Now, another interesting thing about this writer, and this being Jeremiah, he hasn't done anything wrong. I mean, he's a prophet of God, right? He's a good man. But yet there is evil happening. His world is falling apart. Just like sometimes we haven't done anything wrong, and still our world falls apart. We still lose our job, or the the company downsizes or whatever, not because of us. We get cancer, not because of something we've, we've done. It just happens, right? But yet we do not give up. We do not stop. Going on just a few verses later in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 31 through 33. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. This is powerful. So the writer says, I will not stop. I will not give in. 
Often, in my personal prayers, when times are difficult or rough or whatever is happening, and I'm saying, Lord, I don't understand this situation, I don't like it, whatever it is, a phrase that I use over and over again is, Lord, I am not going anywhere. I will be faithful to you no matter what. It's this idea from Lamentations of not giving up on the Lord, not giving up on anything, on on the things that he gives us. But instead, how do you do this? We live with gratitude and hope. And that is exactly what the writer of Lamentations is doing. I live with gratitude, thanking God for all the good that I have. The sun came up again, it's a good thing. God is still in control, even though the things that men will do today will be bad, God is still in control. God is still good. I live with gratitude and I live with hope because of not a maybe, but because I know that Jesus is coming back. Because I know that one day all these terrible things will be gone. All these bad words, words like like cancer and unemployment and divorce and hatred and racism and every other bad thing I can think of will all be obliterated and eliminated. And the only thing there will be is, is us in the presence of God in love. We do not give up. We live in gratitude and hope because God is faithful. So then it makes me think about this, this being my question today. What describes me? What describes me? I would like to think that people would say David is a man of gratitude and hope. He's hopeful. He's full of gratitude. One of the things I always tell tell young preacher students when I have an opportunity to talk to them and sometimes I do and one of the things I'll say is you should always leave your audience with hope they should always realize there is a better thing coming there's a better day because what I find out is sometimes when we're bible class teachers or we're or we're preachers sometimes we we like to impress you with the words we know and the meanings of words we know or with concepts that are really deep but nobody really cares about but we find it really interesting and all you want to do is find out how can I make it to Monday and I want us to know how to get to Monday it's by not giving up and being thankful for what we have and putting our hope in Jesus what words describe me if I were to ask people in my family, maybe I was to ask my spouse or my kids or my parents or ask my co-workers, hey, tell me, describe me. And you're hoping they're going to say, that is a guy of gratitude and hope. And instead they say, that is Debbie Downer. That would not be a person that was living the way that God called him to be, but sometimes that is who we are in practice. We live like Jesus is coming back. We live like we have been saved. We live like better days are ahead. So this morning, maybe you're ready to be baptized into Christ. Let me tell you, that's good news. He'll take away your sins, give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. He'll put you in his kingdom. I mean, it's incredible. And that is always a reason to rejoice. Maybe you need prayers today, just prayers of strength, maybe prayers of forgiveness, but prayers of strength, prayers of hope, praying for other people that need help. You can write to us at elders at mcoc.org and they'll pray for you. Let them know if it's public or private. You can come forward and we'll all pray for you. You can find me out in the foyer. We'll pray for you there. 
This is a community that helps each other so that we can see the hope and we can see the gratitude. Come as we stand and sing.